Hello again, and welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. This features the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons, staring at the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry, of American Caesar Enterprises, which, as everybody knows, is a landed peer from Dolph Waltingford on Heath Trent, from a long line of gentry with better breeding, who all enjoy nothing so much as fox hunting, and recessive genetic traits from years and years of interbreeding among other baronies and earldoms. <laughs> Actual blue blood. Yeah, we can no longer clot, Noah. You you no. prick us, there's a good chance we'll bleed to death in about seven days. Do you remember a guy... So when I was growing up, there were ads on... I, I lived in New Jersey, and there were ads on TV, like, come visit New Jersey. And it said, New Jersey and you, perfect together. And it was the then governor of New Jersey who was a guy named Tom Kane. Oh, I love Tom Kane. So Tom Kane, and he would say, New Jersey and you, perfect together. And I asked my mother, I said, why? Why does he talk I mean, like that? It sounded to me like a British accent. And I said, Mom, if he's from New Jersey, why does he talk like that? And she said, rich people sometimes talk with a British accent. You know, I, I, remember, the, I remember the commercials growing up, and I remember, yeah, yeah. we go, Tom, I'm Tom Kane. New Jersey, yeah. yeah it, he had a, New Jersey. Yeah. It's, it's, they sometimes call it Larchmont Lockjaw. But, like, yeah, right. But the, the, the I mean, Larchmont, that, New York. But. Larchmont, right. But the thing is that there's no part of New Jersey where that accent exists naturally. You, you're talking about it's, all right, it is now purged from the earth. People don't speak like that, even if you're from Larchmont. Yeah, I guess not. What I've heard it described as was a Northeastern Brahmin accent. Yeah, it was and, very, very rich people. The blue blood, yeah, like the landed, the American version of that landed gentry, the fox yeah. hunters. And I remember, you know, the yeah. last time we, do you remember the last time we saw Tom Kane in any kind of like official capacity? His son ran for something. His son's a politician. He's a congressman. Tom Kane. Tom Kane Jr. Right, right, right. Tom Kane was deputized by George Bush to run the nine eleven commission. Uh, That's he, right, he was. Yeah, and I remember it's like, Tom Kane, a blast from the past. The guy from the early 80s was somehow, they pulled him out of the mothballs. He Everything must, from the 80s was hot again, you know. He must, you know Rubik's Cubes and Cabbage Patch Dolls and Tom Kane. I could picture that somewhere on a croquet green, there was a, there was a butler <laughs> in tails holding like a tray with lemonade. And he was like clacking yeah. the two balls together by putting his foot on one. And the yes. guy comes in and he goes, yes sir, a phone call for you sir. And Tom Kane would say, oh, I will take the phone call to the veranda. The, the, the president would like to speak to you about the, that dreadful that dreadful happening at the World Trade Center. I mean, Tom Kane, right. It's, it, in a way, I thought it's like, is that a Boston accent? Because even, like, the Kennedys were not blue bloods. The Kennedys were just... No, they were not. Yeah, even though they cultivated the airs of blue bloods. Yeah. Like, they really yeah. put on... They, the were, they were new money compared to guys like Tom Kane and uh, Pete DuPont in oh, Delaware. Pete, Remember Pete. him? You're ever president. His name was Pierre DuPont, but he went yeah. by Pete. How phony is that? I love that shit. One of, when I was out in the Hamptons uh, during school, <laughs> the uh, East Hampton town supervisor was a guy who went by the name of Tony Bullock. And his name was Stanton Bullock. But he had, <laughs> he had to every man his, his name down to Tony just so people... Tony. But even though you're still in East Hampton, it's like... Yeah. There's no, Malcolm there's no... Steve Forbes. Remember him? His name was... Steve Forbes. His name oh. was like Malcolm Forbes the Fourth or something, and he was Steve Forbes. Right. Yeah. Well, his dad was these Malcolm. fucking guys. Yeah, yeah, he was Malcolm like the twentieth or whatever. Yeah, that's true. I mean, true. give me a break with this shit. Yeah. Uh, but, but, anyway, but, but but it's like Tom, Tom Kane was. That was when I always think of the idea of noblesse oblige, and I think of like the Bush family. I think of like there's a the the, the absolute scandalously old school money people think that oh you know what we are called to serve our fellow man because we have more than they do like the highest calling is to demean ourselves with public service because are you what are you going to do leave it to them it's like this is our this is our job you know yeah there is that but that's better than rich guys today. Yes, it is. I mean, say what you want. Guys like George Bush went in the military. You think those guys are even doing that now? Oh, he was a wartime generation. That was yeah. like he was a fighter pilot. You know, say that what you was want. part of your noblesse oblige. I mean, yeah, it was far from perfect, but I mean, do no, you the, really the need concept, to go into this. How much better George Bush Senior was than the Republican Party now? No, the I mean, concept, the concept this? doesn't exist. There's no noblesse <laughs> oblige. It is a strictly hoarder capitalism. That's what all those guys I, I, do. Yeah, I mean, look, I. One of my heroes is Theodore Roosevelt, and he was all about noblesse oblige. And, you know, for, you know, far from perfect in many respects, you know, tromping into Cuba because it would be a merry adventure is not exactly the, the, the task of a saint. 
but you know, I think he was an awesome president. I think he got it mostly. Well, and that that yeah. shit has faded. You're right. It's just hoarder capitalism. Now. Well, where did and, and and to be honest, Bush had a lot to do with that too. Like they changed yeah, the I idea. Guess did. You know, you're talking about whatever it's uh, the the what was the big group? The not the people, half the people listening have turned us off now. They're like, yeah. hey, I like that movie. I'll listen to this podcast. Nope. Yeah. All right, let's get back on topic. <laughs> who who okay. am I speaking? What is this? Who's the New uh, Jersey? My name Brown? is Noah. My name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder and the senior quiz master. Born in New Jersey, in New Tom Kane. I'm trying to say, no. Can, actually, can you, when I was can you pronounce was it born, like Tom Kane would? That's what I want to hear. What Noah, New Jersey? Noah Tarno. No, no, I'm not going to say that. Uh, when I was born, the governor was Brendan Byrne, who they later named the arena at the Meadowlands. About anyway, okay. Uh, my name is Noah Tarno. I'm the founder and the senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing. The trivia game show spectacular. And on this show, I don't get it. The Get Off My Lawn pop culture. I can't even say the name anymore. The pop culture Get Off My Lawn cast. We look at something that's hot, that's new, that's happening. And this week it's a movie. It's a new movie starring uh, Felicity, Henry Hill, uh, the guy from The Wire, the guy from Justified, Ice Cube Jr., uh, uh, the uh, young Han Solo, All and right. a bear. Ironically. Uh, yeah, I, I not ironic at all. There's nothing ironic about a movie with the word bear in its title featuring a bear. Bill, learn what irony is. It does not rain on your wedding day. Did you? Uh, did it you is watch not Ten Thousand Spoons when all you need is a. Did movie. you watch The Wire? Because uh, Isaiah Whitlock right. Jr. was a big fan. He was. I said the guy from The Wire. I think uh, I said okay. that. Right, right. Here's my problem with The Wire. Right? Everyone, oh, The Wire's the best. It's better than Sopranos. I watched the first, like back when you got discs from Netflix. I got the first disc of season one of The Wire, and I watched it. I'm like, that was okay. It didn't really excite me. And then, you, oh, you got to watch The Wire. The Wire's the best. I watched those three episodes again, and it still didn't get me. So if you like The Wire, that's great. I'm sure it's a wonderful show. But I'm not, I I'm not telling you to watch it. it. I'm just asking I you could. to Well, it. okay, you're the one person who hasn't. Well, not anymore, but maybe 10 years ago. Anyway, so um, there you have it. Uh, what is this movie I'm talking about, Bill? Oh, my God. This is uh, what they call Oh, and it's directed by the, the crazy woman in the bookstore from 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, the, That's the, important, the, too. The, yeah. yeah, right. The really loose woman from the bookstore. Yeah. And Laura Bush from the, the, the W movie. This movie is called Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear. Yayo Bear, as they say in the prisons uh, in, in Rikers Island. Yeah, Cocaine Bear. Because Bill knows he's from his I prison. Do. I'm on the streets. This yeah. is a 2023 American... He's off the streets is the point. He's comedy uh, slash comedy dash horror film, uh, I say with that talk. Uh, directed and produced by uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Banks. Written by some guy named Jimmy Warden, whose credits, I, he really didn't have any credits. This is like a first script out for this guy. But again, He did not think this would get greenlit. He just sort of wrote Understandably it so, yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is the kind of thing, it's like a guy, yeah, I, again, whether he has a big career or not, this Jimmy Warden guy is an unknown quantity. But was the script really the thing here? Not necessarily. Anyway, it is loosely inspired by the true story of the cocaine bear, in quotes, uh, which was... Pablo like, Escobar. Pablo Escobar, they call him. His, <laughs> they call his remains in Kentucky right now. Uh, yes. It was, it was an American black bear that ingested uh, millions of dollars of lost cocaine in 1985. Um, and, and to give names to all the people that Noah referred to by their en entertainment sobriquets, you got Carrie Russell, uh, who you might know from The Americans and Felicity. O'Shea Jackson Jr., who, of course, is a son of Ice Cube, but he's got his own uh, profile. He's been in a bunch of good movies. He's, he's got some juice. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich, who, of course, was young Han Solo. I liked him in um, Hail Caesar. I think this guy is underused. He's got something. Um, it's pretty cool. Brooklyn Prince, who was in a movie called The Florida Project. A lot of people didn't see, but it was just like one Brooklyn of the with two Brooklyn with two Ns. Yes, and they're not even... I'm going to name my kid Bronx with two Xs. Brooklyn with two Ns, but the Ns are at the beginning of the word Brooklyn, not at the end. <laughs> just to be more pretentious. I'm going to name my kid Staten Island with five Ds at the end. Uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who everybody knows better, is she from The Wire. Uh, Margot Martindale has become a real character actor, rock star. Uh, she shows up at everything. And Ray Liotta, of course, is no let off. Henry Hill was in this. This was Ray Liotta. The late Ray Liotta. The late great. Died in May of 22. This was his last film. And the film is dedicated to him uh, at the very end in, in a title, which is you can you can expect. It was shot on a budget of between 30 to 35 mil, depending on who you speak to. 
Uh, and it serves as something of a Hail Mary project for the director, Elizabeth Banks, who has been in director jail since the spectacular flop of 2019's Charlie's Angels reboot. Which, which I forgot even existed. Everybody did. And that was, that was a, yeah. sometimes you get thrown in jail. I don't, you know, I just don't get stuff like this, but this happens. I mean, I, I'm sure it was a bad movie. I wasn't going to see it, but it's like, is that any reason to blame the director? I mean, even if yeah. the director fucked it up, it's like, come on, it's one movie. Well, well welcome to Hollywood. Yeah, I know. Logic I, does not figure into things. I'm, I'm in Hollywood ways to it right here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so the movie benefited from a very memeable run-up to release where TikTokers went wild with the concept. Uh, and, you know, it helps with the marketing imagery. The collateral was a black and white, a very stirring black and white image of the bear with a wild spray of cocaine as if it was shaking its head. Um, and the, the title font, the logo type used a very 1980s, the, the word... Um, a, a bear you know was like sort of like a, a trapper keeper font it was very you know <laughs> consciously self-consciously a throwback thing um and you know the plot for what it's worth is what the title says some drug smugglers based on real drug smugglers but smugglers but this has been you know wildly fictionalized for the point of the movie they ditch duffels of cocaine out of a plane over appalachia uh the, you know they're the, the little bricks are all through the woods this bear brown bear Eats a few of them, becomes unhinged, apparently, and is addicted to them and is on a little hunt like a Pac-Man, you know, looking for little dots throughout the forest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the story... Speaking of 1985, yeah. I know. The story cross-cuts between a few different parties of people in the woods who were stalked by the bear and the intersection of the people and the cocaine and the bear. Uh, the threads meet at the end, but again, it's not about the narrative. Spoiler alert. Um, I, I, I want to point this out because this is one of those things that... Before I... I, I saw this with my friend Matthias here in, in Holland, but when I told my wife... Uh, she's somebody who, at the minute an animal dies in a film, or even if there is an animal, there's a sort of Damocles hanging over her head. She goes, "Are they going to kill that dog? Are they going to kill that cat?" <laughs> and she, when I when I left the house, she says, "She says, I bet you the fucking bear dies." I'm like, I, "Probably, it probably <laughs> is." And actually, for what it's worth, I'm not really spoiling anything here. But the bear no. lives, but it's not. We're gonna we're gonna we're, every time we talk about a movie, yeah. we give away. It's not a, it's not a real bear anyway, so that's another thing too. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Uh, who okay. cares? Does it matter now? Oh, and here's here's something important too. The, the movie is actually solidly on the side of the bear in spite of it being a Yeah, the bear's him. really the hero. Here. It's kind of the hero in spite of like... I rip, mean, the rip, kids rip. and Carrie Russell. And the I mean, we've always wanted to rip Jesse Tyler Ferguson's leg off and it's like apparently... Oh, they, I forgot. Yeah, it's one of the gay guys from Modern Families. The gay guy. Well, right. the, yeah, the only one yeah. that was a gay actor. Uh, further... Oh, I meant the characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, further making this weird is that this movie was shot in Wick, County Wicklow, Ireland. Or actually, yes. I, I just visited a year ago, as a matter of fact, with my friend James Hancock. Um, yes. we, we did uh, some movie, movie locations in Ireland. That's at, at, way outside of, way out, way downtown. Oh, well, shoot, way downtown. Uh, yes, and because somehow it's less expensive to shoot in Ireland than the reputationally cheap Georgia, where the fucking movie was actually set. It's amazing. Wait, so it was nothing set in Georgia? Because at the end of the movie, you see that little peach on the screen that they have every time they film something and film something in Georgia. Uh, no, as far as I know, nothing. This is all shot in Ireland. But this in is Ireland. weird. Now, now what we have is like it, this is the weird thing because Atlanta stands in for New York, which is awful because it shouldn't, but yet they do. Okay. They, and now, sure. now Ireland is going to stand in <laughs> for does Georgia. Does Atlanta have like any sidewalks? Even give me a break. It's no. If you go, if you watch Coming to America, the Eddie Murphy sequel from two oh, years ago, I I it, wish I had. It was shot in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's standing in for Queens. And it, you don't buy it for a second. It's it's the worst that's, part of cheap I, filmmaking. I, I didn't know among the other things that were breaking my heart in that movie. I didn't. Yeah, it's very weird. So what, here's the then the, the the hook is that the bulk of that budget though since it wasn't shot it wasn't for actors it wasn't for locations it wasn't for production value it went to Weta Digital the Wellington New Zealand based FX house who who take their projects on a boutique basis um, and just you know, for, for whatever it's worth I just keep speaking parenthetically here Weta has access to so much work because they're one of like the top two you know voices in the business there's that and ILM and just a few other places Weta turned down other work because they just take what they want they took this on you know, this tiny little movie, they, they somehow saw that this was a, a boutique little curious project that they decided to throw their camera. These are the guys who've been making Avatar for Cameron. And they decided to do this on the side for a couple million bucks. I, I They saw something in it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything uh, I missed out here, Noah? I feel like we're... Well, ready. a few we're... things, as usual. One, that it was a surprise hit. You know, it, it in its first weekend or second weekend, it outpaced... Uh, oh, no, its it first weekend was the second weekend for Ant-Man 3, the Ant-Manning. And um, it, <laughs> the it Ant did... 
Right, it did better than Ant Man, which was supposed to be a show. Uh, no, it didn't do. It didn't do better than Ant Man. What it did, it was more competitive with Ant Man because Ant, it was within ten million, I think, of Ant Man. I thought it. I thought Ant Man's second week, just taking that week alone, Cocaine Bear beat Ant Man. I don't Am think, I wrong about that? Yeah, I think no. It, it, there's no way that could possibly happen. But it was the it, the fact that no, the, the, what you're saying is in spirit correct because Ant Man plunged so. It, Ant -Man right, was Ant Man just, got bad reviews. Yeah. Yeah, bad fucking, I mean, I don't know if this is, I don't think this is true, but people are like, oh, people are burnt out on Marvel. Maybe a little. Give me, give us one more awesome movie and I'll stop being burnt out if that's the case. So yeah, it was a surprise hit because here's this little non-franchise movie about a bear that does drugs and it beats, you know, freaking Marvel $80 billion movie. So that's a big surprise. Also, I mean, look at it. This is a movie that is... It's almost adapted from a meme. I mean, it's the supposed... So the supposed true story it's based on is some guy, some drug dealer, former cop, dropped cocaine all over the woods and people were going to pick it up and then parachuted out and he died on the descent. His parachute didn't open. They show that in the movie, right? The cocaine was later found. The bear was dead. They found a dead bear. It had ingested a lot of cocaine. Its stomach was packed with cocaine, right? That's as far as the truth goes. What the movie <laughs> fictionalizes is that the bear ingests the cocaine and then goes on a killing spree, right? That's what makes it a horror comedy. There's some gore here. I mean, not, it's not on Terrifier 2 levels, Bill, but it is gory. The, the, the bear goes around and kills people. There is zero evidence that the bear in real life killed anyone. Now that bear has been found, that dead bear has been stuffed, and it is on display at a shopping mall in Kentucky, where it's become kind of like a social media celebrity, right? A fate, a a fate worse than death, no, or to be, to be taxidermied and put into a, new, uh, right. a Kentucky with, shopping mall. With a, stu a stomach full of cocaine. So, you know, that's sort of where it came from, is that's what Jimmy, whatever his name is, that was his idea to write the movie, fictionalize the true story of the bear eating the cocaine and dying. There's also the fact that, uh, speaking of memes, there's a meme uh, called, I guess it's called Cocaine Bear, which is a picture of a bear with its face covered in snow, and it says something like, cocaine's a hell of a drug, or, a drug, or oh, God, I love cocaine. And that's been a meme around for like 10 years. So, you know, when I first heard about this, I was reminded of Snakes on a Plane, right? Which was, those you don't know, was a movie about 15, 18 years ago that just the title got people excited before it happened. You know, it's telling you exactly what this movie is about. Snakes on a, on a plane. A bear that does cocaine, right? Uh, so... You know, it had that meme power. Uh, Universal Pictures put this movie out. It's head of social media, whatever, marketing, really ran with this and really made it work. And they've done an excellent social media campaign. I mean, the negative reviews of it basically say, just watch the trailer and you'll get everything. Very mixed reviews on this. I mean, I'm seeing people who love it, people who hate it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think those are the missing pieces, Bill. It's been a, I wouldn't say surprise hit, but it's it's been... In a world that you complain about, my friend, that there are no small movies in theaters anymore, this thing has become a hit. Somehow, someway, somewhere, we'll find a place of forgiving. Um, so yeah, so so that's what you left out. Okay, Elvis so you Mitchell, know what, so what do you think of it then? Yes. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. I had a good time. Um, I don't think it's an awesome movie. At first, I, you know, I, I, I never disliked it. At first, I thought it was kind of weak. Because I thought its tone was kind of, you know, this is a problem I had with Mithrigan, right? Which we just talked about a few weeks ago. It like couldn't decide what kind of comedy it wanted to be. Mixing horror and comedy, you need to get the ingredients right. And I think a lot of people don't. And I think Mithrigan messed it up. As the first half hour, 45 minutes of this movie, I thought not as bad as Mithrigan, because it was actually funnier. But um, definitely like it wasn't getting the, the combination right. Um, couldn't decide what kind of comedy it wanted to be. I thought the characters seemed poorly sketched out, really didn't get a feel for who they were beyond, you know, a one-line description. There was a lot of characters. The plot just made some weird choices that were only made just to move the plot along. Like, why did the bear not kill that little girl and kidnap her? It killed everyone else pretty quickly. Like, I didn't understand that. Uh, it seemed a little slow. But then, oh, and at the end, the way, there's sort of, it's a bifurcated narrative. You have Kerry Russell and a bunch of kids, two kids, and then you have the cocaine dealers trying to get their shit, right? Including, you know, Ray Liotta and O'Shea Jackson and um, Alden Ehrenreich. And at the end, the two halves, you knew they would meet, but they felt kind of artificially bolted together. So that wasn't great. But the movie kicked in for me about halfway through. 
when the ambulance scene, Bill, right? There's some paramedics come because, oh, a bear attacked me. And let me put it this way. The paramedics, <laughs> it didn't go well for them. And the people they came to save, it didn't go well for them. It didn't go well for Margot Martindale. And I thought that scene was excellent comedy violence. You know, there's a long tradition of comedy violence going back to the Three Stooges and Looney Tunes cartoons. But I have a theory, not entirely, you know, founded, that Home Alone, which was a monster hit in 1990, started the modern era of comedy violence. And, of course, people who watched Home Alone when they were eight and it was their favorite movie, they're now, you know, they're now 40, right? So they're running things or their tastes, at least, are dictating things. So uh, we're in a, a, maybe a golden age of comedy violence. I saw a Violet Night last December, which I kind of felt like came and went, but apparently it did all right. So they set it up for a sequel. I hope there's a sequel. I really enjoyed it, and I thought that was great comedy violence. Um, so yeah, once that really kicked in for me, the characterization flaws became less important because the violence carried the story forward. Uh, and the bear looked great. So yeah, this movie... You know, it's not very ambitious, but I think it succeeds in its ambition. It's not a great movie, but it's a lot of fun. And hey, if I can go to the movie theater and have a lot of fun, that's a win, especially in 2023. So, you know, thumbs up for me. Um, actually, I walked away disappointed. Uh, from oh, no, come it's, on. Look, the, the thing is, this was a schlock movie. It had, yeah, but that's the point, man. Yeah, it's the no, no. The, I, I want it to be a schlock movie. The thing is, I don't think you can make a schlock movie in twenty twenty three. I just don't think that what? what this what this movie was set out to was setting out to do was to inhabit the space of like alligator, piranha, uh, right? Some of the classic movie stuff in the yeah, old days. Yeah, but it's funnier than that. Well, I'll tell you. You know, a, a real correlative of this. Have you ever seen a movie called Lake Placid? Came out in like nineteen ninety nine. I heard about it's like a it's like a Loch Ness monster kind of movie, right? No, Lake Placid. It it's a killer crocodile. I mean, movie. Lake Pla the Lake Placid monster movie or something. So Placidy, they call that beast. It's a massive alligator that was. Uh, here's the it's an alligator. Here's the spoiler. Yeah, it's a massive alligator that was raised from small by by Betty White, who plays a old dowager. And what she does is she brings cows down to the waterside, and she's been feeding this pet alligator, which is enormously the size of a bus. It's it's, it's overgrown. And the thing is, is that uh, the the uh, what is it? The repto the herpetologists are Bridget Fonda and Bill Pullman are in town. Herpetologist to is just snakes, I believe. Oh, okay. Rep reptologist. I don't. Uh, Thank you. I don't well, you know the name me, of the fuckers. You don't give me a thought. Back, I get yeah. a break on the price. Anyway, All right, I'll look it up. Keep it's talking. I'll it's look a it up. monster comedy. It's it was this movie exactly, except it was done right. And it's it, it, uh, Lake Placid is a cult horror film. It uses some pretty middling digital effects, but it really doubles down also on makeup effects. Now, the one thing that, and, and but it did comedy very well. It was written cheekily, and nobody knew it was coming. So it's been, it's, it's, it was free to be a schlock movie, horror comedy, and it was a success. And it, now the, I think the problem with this movie for me is that first of all, the bear, while it is a good idea to not ask a trained bear to do the things that they, which could would not have worked. Um, the bear doesn't ever has no weight to it ever. It's it's a very well rendered bear, but it's like you know your your eye is still constantly. It's like the blue people from Avatar. It's like I know what this is. It's really well. See, I, I didn't feel that. I oh, I yeah? I thought this looked. I mean, maybe it's because bears are real and blue people aren't. Yeah, I, I didn't have that problem. But yeah, whatever, I, you know. I, I mean, like I said, it's just I I'm looking at a space in the screen. It's very well rendered, and and the people acted like they were in the scene with the. I mean, I'm sure there was a guy in a green suit or a tennis ball on a stick. You know, the actors were doing their best. Hey, you know what? At least they were actually not in front of a green screen. They were out in the fucking woods of Ireland. You know, like it gives them more to bite into. So it's like, you know, the, the problem, the bear wasn't real. And then every time there was a wound, it wasn't real. The makeup is all, they don't use makeup anymore. They don't use blood effects because it's too messy. They use digital blood for everything. Every time that, you know, a leg is ripped off or there's a gouge mark, it's all fake. And it's like, there's a difference between, there's a lot of stuff now, again, where they don't use guns and, and bullets anymore for muzzle flesh. It's all CG muzzle flesh. And, you know, this kind of stuff too. They, they don't use blood for makeup effects. They use digital because they do it in post. They can make it whatever they want. And you don't have to worry about spraying the actors with blood and having them showered. The continuity of match takes and makeup and all that stuff. That kind of stuff just kills me, though, because I can tell the difference. It's like with the old-fashioned schlock of watching a guy run around with a dummy arm filled with meat squirting blood is lost yeah. to us. We're not going to get to do yeah. that anymore. And, you know, like I said, this was a little bit of a Hail Mary. I saw, I saw the, the complication of Elizabeth Banks thinking, I need to make a hit to get out of director jail. And 
it was a good project for her. She really directed it well. She had a, so many constraints of having to make this in Ireland. You know, apparently, you, you mentioned the ambulance scene. Apparently, to actually get that ambulance, they don't have that ambulance anywhere on in Ireland. Not North Ireland or you know, Ireland or Northern Ireland. That they don't has, have ambulances in Ireland? They're completely different. That is hey, a, just, they just a, feed them potatoes and corned beef and yeah. cabbage and that. that that's, an, that's an American vehicle. Like, they're just certain things that they had to work under a, a stringent, austere budget. And she did a good job considering. You know, it's like, this is going to wind up being the win she's looking for. I can get behind her for that. Uh, but, you know, I just I just felt it was so calculating. The one thing I did really like about it that stuck with me, I like Alden Ehrenreich because he kind of, he's got, he's got fun energy. He is a smaller man, but he has this kind of very warm, amiable thing. But also he plays sad very well. It's hard to explain, but he was very yes. kind of like, yeah, over emotional in the right way. Yeah, his, his character is mourning his dead wife. He's a sad sack. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing, I really like that skinny blonde guy that was part of those, those hoods. Those yeah, three, he was funny. Yeah, he was yeah. hilarious. I'm like, where yeah, did he this? All right. He got the tone, and he was like in a movie by himself. That guy, his name was Aaron Holiday. I really like what he did, and it's like I found myself. You know, there's even a scene where the two of them are talking about loss, and he's being counseled, and they like hug. There's more of this out there. They dumped it somewhere. I'm looking for my daughter. Forest is a dangerous place. Hey, Henry, check it out. Something got into it. So, Bill, why has this movie caught on? I mean, despite your protestations, occasionally tiny movies do show up in theaters, and most of them sink without a trace, and people like you and me never know that they exist. But why has this become, you know, it's the t it's the buzz. It's why I suggested we talk about it for this podcast. And it was right and to do so, yes. It, it nearly, nearly dethrones, you know, Ant-Man 3, Ant-Mania. Man-Ant, so yes. Ant-Man Ant versus Man-Ant. Uh, I think, well, you know, you brought up um, the last correlative is Mithrigan, um, which Mithrigan to me uh, seemed like a concept developed from the marketing outward, or at least let's, it behaved that way by the time it got to the theater. You know, eventually it reached some kind of story, but the story we watched with Mithrigan was kind of shambolic. It didn't really know what it wanted to do. It was filled with really wooden acting. Uh, but and for the record, the cast of Cocaine Bear is it's seventy times better. It's quanta better than than the cast of Mithrigan, which was just I agree total. I junk. agree. These are real yes. real professionals came on board. These are like some of the best character actors working today actually came on board. That's the difference of like having a piece of junk script about a doll. And you get one quote unquote A lister in Allison Williams, but this was like filled with real like jazz artists. I kind of dug the fact that they they wanted to be part of this. They took they took like whatever their 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 ask is, they were working for scale to do this. That stuff is well, over. it looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. Don't you think it's a lot of fun running around the woods pretending yeah, Margo, you're Mar get your Margo Martindale off? Yeah. is like she's regularly up for uh, yeah. Golden Globes and Emmys and it's like, yeah, she's running and around. She's 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 it's great. She plays this park ranger chain smoking. But she has a crush on Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who's some animal expert who comes, and she's dolling herself up for him and flirting with him. And they look like such a mismatch, but they're both having a great time. Yeah. What's no, that, not to like about that? Anyway, so yeah, it, it, it's just the weird thing about the uh, marketing, that this was kind of, um, you know, it, it, it's got intentional schlock film elements, the inclusion of cocaine, which is a very, you know, you put what movie would have cocaine in the title? I mean, look, there was a movie from about 20 years ago called Blow, which was about a giant uh, a cocaine dealer named George Jung. And, but the movie is called Blow because that's like trying to be cool. Like, oh, man, you got any blow? And it was about the dawn of cocaine coming to, you know, America, suburban America. That's wasn't Paul, wasn't Paul Rubens in yes, there? Yes, he was. That was one of his quote, yeah. quote, unquote, comeback movies. Comeback, so, yeah. You know, to say, put cocaine in there, you got something, again, that is, it's not, it's not snow, it's not blow, it's not Colombian marching powder. It's, it's just the word Columbian cocaine. Colombian marching powder. Right? Remember that? From, uh, I've never heard that one before. Uh, that was that Michael J. Fox movie from the 80s. Uh, I forget, The, the Secret of my success i can't remember oh, secret of my Columbia. um yeah oh and and let's say that like another reason was this movie being steeped in post postmodernism. you know the idea that it's a movie about the cocaine bear that's what it's about and you know it, it, picking up the torch from snakes on a plane but somehow the studio model with sm more moving pieces at the smaller level and more flexibility at low level, lower budgets, being able to figure this shit out and not have it turn into sci-fi. Like you said, um, shark to puss versus Piranacon type material, which is just completely risable. This is this is different than that. You know, this this succeeded where other things have certainly failed. That's exactly what I think, which is why it's sad that you, you didn't enjoy it. I mean, yeah. That's, I mean it's I, different I, from I, the, to why I didn't enjoy it. It's fine. Right. You know? 
so we, we mentioned Snakes on a Plane, and those who don't know, so Snakes on a Plane was this movie, 2005 or so, and that was the working title. It was just like, oh, whatever, I'll call it whatever, and it's about terror. It wasn't even supposed to be a comedy. Terrorists put a big <laughs> bag of snakes on a plane because they want to kill a witness on the plane, and the snakes are drugged, and they get loose, and they kill a bunch of people, and Samuel L. Jackson's the hero. My favorite line in that movie is like before it happens that the mob boss is assistant is like, you're sure this is a good idea? And he's like, what choice do I have? And I'm like, what choice do you have? You're trying to kill a guy and your only way is to load his plane with snakes? Poisonous like, snakes. There's no other way to kill a guy? <laughs> like, um, And what happened was, is, and this is pre-social media, early days of social media, and the name was so sticky. They're like, no, you got to keep the name. And they actually did some reshoots to buy into the media hype. You know, someone joked, oh, Samuel Jackson's probably going to say, I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on my motherfucking plane. And it was a joke, but they actually filmed him saying they, they that. They did a pick, that up, got in the yeah, a pick of Rishi with that in it. The movie sucked because it bolted on the comedy at the last minute. It was also a very poorly made movie. It killed a dog. The snakes killed a dog. The snakes killed a kid. You can't really well, do that in comedy movies. Keep in you can't mind have too, children and pets die. Keep in mind that, that. Um, the the enthusiasm was ironic online. I don't think this, the marketers didn't understand that to some degree. People weren't like saying, make this movie, we'll go see it. They were saying like, this whole thing is so ridiculous. Go right. ahead. Keep driving the ball further into the end zone. I don't think people really were intending on seeing it anyway. It was, it was a short-lived meme. But- oh, I, I remember people going, having parties at the theater, and everyone was disappointed. I, I saw it on video later. Anyway, the movie didn't live up to it. But here we are 15-whatever years later, 18 years later, and, you know, people, studios like Universal put a lot of money and a lot of training into hiring people who know social media and know memeiness. And this is a meme-worthy title, so they got it right. So they sold it right in a way that they couldn't sell Snakes on a Plane. They made it right, in my opinion, the way they couldn't do that on Snakes on a Plane. I also just think, apart from the fact that I just thought it was fun and the violence was the right tone to be fun and shocking and whoa, that kind of thing. You know, I think people want something small and satisfying, right? And not to go see... I mean, Jesus Christ. If you had told us when we were kids that there'd be an Ant-Man 3, like... Imagine Ant-Man 1 when we were kids. Ant-Man 3? Like, are you fucking kidding me? So we want just the little movie that just says, fuck you, we're going to entertain you. That's all we're going to do. There's an interview with Jimmy. I can't remember his last name. The screenwriter. What's his last name? I feel bad. that Warden? Warden? Jimmy Warden. Thank you. And uh, I think this was Vulture. Maybe I'm wrong. It says, what do you think about the... That's where he's being interviewed. And he's asked, what do you think about the state of the industry? Universal is hungry for original IP. They did Mithrigan. They also just did Violent Night. They take swings, man. It's pretty awesome to see. You hear everybody complain and lament about the state of the industry, how it's just sequels and franchises and IPs. You wouldn't know that when you talk to Universal. They're just like, give me original stuff and we'll put their weight behind it. That's what happened with Cocaine Bear. Unquote. Okay, so Jimmy Warden is definitely kissing the ass of Universal because they treated him right. But I think what he's getting at is, and this is why this shit worked and Snakes in a Plane didn't, and a lot of movies don't, is because they're just letting talented people do their fucking thing. And that's how you get a success nine out of ten times. It's when 80 executives and 34 script doctors meddle, and it almost never works when you do that. There's something wrong with it. Yeah, I told you there was. Why is it acting like this? Did you feed it cocaine? No. Noah, uh, when you were a kid huddled in a cave running away from a CGI bear, would you have uh, liked this movie then? Here's what I don't understand about They say about bears, and they repeat this here, that if it's a brown bear, you play dead. If it's a black bear, you have to fight it. So brown, lay down, black, fight back. get on the attackers, fight yeah. back. Here's what I don't understand. A, how can you tell the motherfucking difference? I don't think one just looks black and one looks brown. I don't know. And two, fight back? What does that mean? You want me to fight a bear? Do I have to take a a class on, like, bear martial arts? Fight a bear? Like, I'm not fighting a bear. This is why you're in San Francisco and I'm in Amsterdam right now. We don't have to ask these questions for real. What? Fight a... Like, what does that mean? Punch it? Get a stick and hit it? Like, is this just... Are you just saying you're gonna die... You might as well, you know, better better to have your, your intestines partially out than c- totally killed. Like, f- I, I just don't know what fight back means when you're talking about a big a bear. 
It's it's scary to me. Uh, would I? Uh, sorry. Would I have liked this when I was younger? Yeah, I think I'd like it even more because I'd overlook the flaws because I wasn't as cultured, and I'd be more of a you know a fan of memes and more beguiled by the social media sphere and method of communication. So I think the meme worthiness would have sucked me in. You know, when I read it, it was loosely also based on that meme of Bear saying, God damn, I love cocaine. Like, I think I'd seen that image before, but it wasn't anywhere in my mind. Yeah, me too. Maybe if I'm I were in my too. 20s now, it would be something I was very familiar with. But I'm not. So I think, yeah, like 20, 20% more I'd like it just because I'm more of a world that is plugged into where this movie came from, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, I, I could see, depending on if, if I was a real kid, you know, and granted... You know, we were in front of Alligator and Piranha and like the old, the OG, um, late 70s, right. early 80s schlock movie. I saw that movie Alligator, the one with the giant alligator in the sewer, what yeah. it eats radioactive waste and it crashes up through the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, something like I that. I remember thinking that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, but if, that movie was really broad. I think Robert Forster in it, the actor who'd gone Yes, to Robert movie. Forster was in it. Correct. Yeah, and I yes. saw Piranha was legit. Piranha had comedic elements. That was Piranha was written by John Sayles, too, one of my favorite directors. It was directed by Joe Dante. So that right. like that was I mean, these are two movies amongst 10 billion that uh, do it the best it can be done and really set the way. Um, and, you know, and it, it, this this is not that. Even that that's the only two ones though that there even were in the first place. But like when I saw Piranha and Alligator, I, I didn't know. Again, depending on how old I was, I didn't know they were comedies. I just saw the exploitation grindhouse elements, the danger. You know, it had it had this this frisson of um, gross out violence. It's like I, and the comedy as a young viewer i think was sort of um a little a little resistant or at least you know i took it on one level and that was the fact that this is a violent movie it, only if you watch something as a teenager in your 20s that you sort of get the fact that oh this is this is really a lot of irony as well a lot of post postmodernism. it's just these are the guys who grew up on chuck jones cartoons like uh yeah joe dante the guys you know joe, joe dante made gremlins you know it's like there's so much you could think of Gremlins too. Gremlins has a lot of gross-out makeup effects. Absolutely, it's weirdly hilarious. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't hold up. I watched it again recently. I thought my niece would love it because she's nine and loves scary movies. Yeah. Doesn't hold up. Very well, but you get the point. Is like it really was a that was the thing in '84. That was the deal. Yeah, oh, at the time it was when I was when I was nine. I loved it, but yeah. you know. Oh, uh, by the way, I stand. You were right. I was wrong. Herpetology is a study of all reptiles and all amphibians. So it is correct uh, to say a herpetologist deals with alligators. I stand corrected. Is that a picnic basket that I see? Hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, powdered sugar. Don't mind if I do. So, Bill, is the success of uh, Cocaine Bear, the bear that loves cocaine, its subtitle, uh, is that a sign? This would be more interesting if it was Paddington Cocaine Bear. Right? <laughs> Paddington Bear shows up at the London station. Right? He he's he's be, he's beguiled by a drug dealer hanging out out on whatever that street is, and he does a couple lines of blow, and he goes nuts in London. Hey, uh, hey, hey, boo boo! What's what's in the picnic Yo- basket? Yogi Yogi does cocaine. Who are some other famous bears who would be fun in this role? Uh, Winnie, Yogi Winnie the Pooh, Paddington. Of Winnie the Pooh. Which back, as we discussed, is back in circulation. There's a new Winnie the Pooh yeah. horror movie. I read a review that said it was unbelievably bad. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, then the bear leaves. Uh, anyway, so is the success of Cocaine Bear in any way a sign of the apocalypse? All right, it's funny because my little fingers, I got them to tapping when I was writing my notes out. I started this rip about, <laughs> honestly, I started this rip about... You know what? It's backwards if you're going to come up with a movie on the concept and a meme, and then you're going to like... Oh, come They've no, done listen, that. They did that. That's what I'm saying. I started just doing this thing, and I'm like, hang on a second. Wait a second. I had to check myself because it's like there is a company in California called New World Pictures run by a man who we know very well by the name of Roger Corman, one of the most successful filmmakers of all time. Is he still alive? He's still alive, yeah. Roger Corman, his motto is, I've never lost any money on a film. Or I never released a movie that lost money. Something to that effect. And so, Roger, I mean, if I was about to sit here and be offended somehow that making, cynically, Noah, cynically making a movie based on a meme or a poster or a concept and then as an afterthought 
shopping it out to some screenwriter somewhere in a bungalow in Venice Beach in 1971 to write out the script for Naughty Nurses or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> you know, the thing is, Corman used to ask guys, graphic designers, to make the posters for things like Alligator. He didn't do Alligator, but at that point, they would come up with a poster. He would send the poster to England, to France, to Italy. They would sell the movie. They would say, yeah, this sounds great. When is it? When can I expect it, Roger? And they would say, oh, you're going to have it in eight months. And then he'd be like, okay, now we got to think of the movie from zero. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what, yeah. man? I just, every time I hear these stories, it's first of all, it's great. It's just like, this is such a shamble to make a film out of it. It's like, and but then that's so, every, it's every type of entertainment. I, they make boy bands and like that, but they used to do comic books. They'd make the cover first. Yes. It's every, that's, it's welcome to show business. No, it is. I know movies better than most of those in terms of, and especially the legends, the tall tales, the legendary ones, you know exactly how they came about. So yeah, there's definitely nothing new here. You know, Corman did it. Um, no, there's nothing, uh, but quite to the contrary, because what you said up, up top about how this is the little David with a slingshot taking out Goliath, or getting close, at least getting one in Goliath's eyes at the very least. You know, you want to make sure that there's some room, there's a pluralist uh, thing in the, at, at the box office. If you're going to rehabilitate the theater-going experience after covid after Disney, after after Disney's live action versions of their cartoons, after Marvel movies, after, you know, gigantic big budget Transformers movies and shit like that. It's got to start with small things that cost between 10 and 30 million. You know, I hope that this winds up alloying some people. I hope that there's a lot of other, you know, un, either untested and or directors who need a, a, a redemption arc. That can come on and take some inspiration for this and like do more stuff because frankly... It makes movies better if you have a more, uh, you know, squishy, broad market. And, you know, it is the whole thing about whether you give a shit about getting people to go to the movie theaters or not. As part of the culture of film right now, isn't just streaming because streaming like really destroyed about two or three years worth of movies that pretty much don't exist anymore because they were made, they dumped them on streaming, the streaming they weren't successful. That means they don't exist. Nobody refers back to them again. Um, unfortunately, like you almost still have to go through the rubber stamp of putting it in a theater for it to be acknowledged as like a real thing. And you need to put small things to make a healthy marketplace. This could be a strike in that direction. I agree. I think it totally is. By the way, Roger Corman, one month from now, one month and one day from now, he will be 97. So look at that. How, how about that? How about that? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, you didn't think this movie succeeded. You're wrong about that. I thought it basically did for what it wanted to do. And, and this is not the apocalypse. This is possibly the opposite. This might get us back to a world where you just go to the fucking movies and see some small movie. And it's not about, you know, checking something off on a list or whatever. You know, this is what we need. You said, I remember when we, I think it was the episode about the Batman earlier this year. And you said something. Oh, like it was a year. It was make... exactly almost a year ago. Okay. Yeah. Right. They never make movies like Merchant Ivory films anymore, right? right. Little, small, you know. Remains of the old day. People, yeah. Old people, chick flick, whatever you want to call it. it. It's all Marvel. It's all Star Wars. It's all Frozen. You know, it's all Toy Story. It, it's, we need things like this. And maybe Cocaine Bear is the perfect thing to kind of kick that door back open a little because it is, there is a bigness to it. There is a whoa factor to it, but it's an hour and a half. It's, it's not that ambitious. And in my opinion, it succeeds. And as much as I enjoyed the first Ant-Man movie and I like the Marvel movies, you know, more often than not, like enough already, right? Like we need, fine, great. I love that the superhero movies are big business. I want my cocaine bears. I want the fucking stupid Merchant Ivory movies, even though I don't want to watch them. I just, we need that ecosystem. And if, and this feels like a good, a good little shiv to get us in there a little more, get us back in there. It might be an unwinnable fight at this point, but you know, you keep fighting as long as you can. So I am talked to you and I go like, oh man, this thing, cocaine bear. And you went, yeah. And I went, oh man, I don't see that. And you went, you yeah. do know that that's my movie. <laughs> And I didn't know. Okay, Noah, I don't know how to take the jealousy angle we usually talk about because it's kind of hard to get a toehold. But uh, how does this, well, how does this uh, in, interact with the feelings of jealousy in any way? I mean, the only way I'm jealous is that, you know, I've talked about as a kid I wanted to be an actor. And there's still a part of me that is disappointed I'm not an actor. I've been taking his acting class. I've been digging it. Uh, so, you know, I look at a movie like this. I'm like, ah, oh, it must be so much fun to do a movie like this. I wish I were an actor and doing, you know, I fucking pay junket to go to Ireland. I mean, everything get, about it sounds eaten, great. But, you know, I mean, getting eaten. I remember when I was in uh, high school, uh, I did 
a production of Little Shop of Horrors, which is probably still my favorite musical. And I was playing Mr. Mushnick, and the scene where I get eaten by the plant was so much fun. You know, like I always thought it must be, it's so much, it must be fun to like die in a horror movie, get yeah. eaten by a monster, uh, or, you know, yeah. like that kind of, like I always thought it would be fun to play a horrible villain, like, you know, horrible murderer, especially in a comedy where like you can laugh out loud about it. Little Shop of Horrors, talk about perfect horror comedy, my God. Uh, so, you know, I'm just a little jealous of that, but no, <laughs> this makes me glad I don't hike very much. It's like I said, <laughs> shit, what the fuck would I do? I don't like fight back a black bear. Give me a fucking break. Really, you're just, really getting stuck on this fighting a bear thing. I got to tell you. It's, it scares me. Like, wow, I'm expected to beat a bear in a fight. Give me a fucking, I can barely walk anymore. Uh, it also bolsters my happiness that at the age of 47, I still never tried cocaine because... It's bad news, my friend. It is bad fucking news. And anyone who listens to the show knows the last thing I need is cocaine. More bad news you know? is true, yeah. yeah. I know. My father, who's even double the energy I have, that guy tried cocaine once, and he said it made him tired. Because <laughs> my dad probably flipped around the other side. <laughs> the cocaine pushed him all the way to the other end of the spectrum, I bet. So, well, right. I, I don't think that um, yeah, attitude can't really find too much to be jealous about. I was wondering, like, well, Elizabeth Banks, who is trying to reinvent her career since she's been an actor for, um, I guess, low on 15, 18 years now or so. Uh, and she's had a little bit of a brand where she shows up in things like Wet Hot American Summer. And, you know, she's, she's trying to become a director, as, as some people do. And it's, it's, I mean, getting a direction gig is one thing, but being successful at it is, is something entirely well, different. Well, she directed, didn't she? She also directed Pitch Perfect 2. Yes, which I two. believe did all right. Uh, yes, no, it definitely did okay. I mean, did they do a Pitch Perfect three? I think I they know. did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. Right. Uh, I don't know right. if she did that or not, but um, that—that's the world needs. That's what the world needs. Yeah. yeah, if it was a decade or so ago when I had, you know, I was trying to do feature film work or at least short film work, I might have been envious of the fact that she got this test. But I mean, I wouldn't have known the first thing about how to run a production like this. It's you know, it really is a lot, of, a lot of trouble. What she signed up for. Especially with the pressure of trying to reinvent herself as a director and then having a you know a failure as a director, no, I mean there's really just not, there's not a lot there, um, you know, to be to be jealous of. But all right, mm-hmm. so no, let's rank this thing finally. X Y Z. Yeah, well, I, I do need to scale. say there was there was a Pitch Perfect three, 2017, not directed by Elizabeth Banks, co-written by Mike White, and it became the second highest grossing musical comedy film of all time behind wow. its predecessor. There you go. Look at that. Uh, I remember this because the poster says last call pitches. And the fact that there's no comma after last call, I find very confusing. Because they're saying last call pitches. But instead, to me, without the comma, it looks like these are the, this is the last group of call pitches. I remember that. And I'm yes. sitting here going, what does that mean? So fucking grammar. It's important, people. Uh, okay, so what's your question to me? Uh, Felonian scale? Put it on the XYZ axis, yeah. Okay, so here, I, you know, I always refer, a movie, I refer back to movies. That's the way my brain works. So, uh, you know, we talked about Mithrigan. I thought this was a lot better than Mithrigan. You know, it's talked about it in the same breath, horror, comedy. I mean, Mithrigan isn't a tentpole, but it's probably going to end up being a tentpole. I mean, maybe the way I felt about that is the way you feel about Cocaine Bear, right? So... I said, I think I said Mithrigan was not, you know, on the negative side, but I don't remember. It's somewhere around zero. And I multiplied it by another movie we recently saw that I thought was flat out bad, which is Cha-Cha Real Sucks. So multiply Mithrigan times Cha-Cha Real Sucks and multiply by negative one. And then you get, you know, I think a reasonable level of degrees up the y-axis above zero. And that's where you find... Cocaine bear. Is this the, the 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 bear who loved cocaine? This 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 is a real integer. This is not an imaginary integer we're dealing with here, right? Uh, you know the way this works. I, I we need we need like a team of MIT. Not just one. To, a team. A department. A team. A department. We need a depart. We need a department with okay at Caltech <laughs> focused on with the several scale. several chairs emeritus or em- yes em- several emeritus chairs. Yes. Mensa members, Learned League A rundlers. We need the cream of the crop in intelligence. And a think tank, too. I, I want to I put my neck a up. Think a think tank. We do need a, someone from the Mayo Clinic should stop in. We need all that. Man. Yeah, and mayonnaise, too. Someone from the Helmut and Clinic. Someone from the mayonnaise clinic, yeah. Um, yeah, you know why? Uh, you know the story about um, how all the, the jars of mayonnaise in the Titanic were headed for Mexico. 
you know, because they didn't have mayonnaise in Mexico at the time. Oh. And and they were supposed to arrive, you know, Titanic sank around April 14th, April 15th. And a few weeks later, when the mayonnaise was supposed to arrive in Mexico, it was May 5th. And that's why they call May 5th Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. That's true. No, that actually is true. I've, I've read that. That's 100%, 100% true. 100% true. All right. So this, this movie isn't as violent as it thinks it is. It's not as funny as it believes itself to be. And it's not as much the underdog story as champions of it might want yeah. it to be. So It's an underbear story, my friend. So I would equate it with Bluey. Bluey was, oh, you know what? It's it's apples and oranges, but like Bluey was better than this. How many? Bluey was great for Bluey was such a. If I had a kid, I would force them to watch Bluey. Did you know that they're making a cocaine Bluey series? <laughs> Bluey was what a dog. Bluey was a dog, right? A dingo or a coyote or something, some weird Australian thing. Yeah. So the idea is Bluey's going to go crazy and eat his family. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to find some cocaine and, uh, yeah. Uh, you could do that. Okay. Yeah, Bluey's a dog. It's Australian. That's okay. Right. We talked well, about that at some point. All right. So this is this is the exact same spot as Bluey. You're not going to even give us an equation, huh? Uh, no, it just doesn't have to make sense. It does It does what it says on it's, the tin here. It's yeah. a bunch of fucking nonsense. Okay. Speaking of a bunch of fucking nonsense, everybody, we, <laughs> we, are, uh, we are finished here. Uh, just a programming note. We are gonna yes. take, we're going to take a week off. Yes. Hopefully only a week I will off. be in New York, New York. City so nice they need it twice. Cocaine Noah, he's gonna find a package. I'm gonna, gonna find eat. some. I'm gonna head. Where do you get cocaine these days? I don't. You're asking Back the then, wrong it was guy. like Ave, Avenue B. You know, the Alphabet City could get coke, but where would you get coke? You probably get coke in like uh, Eric Adams. I have no idea. You know, <laughs> just Eric. That would explain a lot if the yeah. mayor is on coke. So anyway, that's the programming note. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and listen again to one of our fine back episodes, uh, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, yes. SoundCloud. We are what number into it? Uh, you keep talking. Sorry, I interrupted yes. you. I'll find out. No, I, I will tell you exactly what we are up to. Uh, this episode is exactly two hundred and fifty, Noah. Really? Look yeah. at that. How about that? Quarter of the way to 1K. Towards 1 wow. billion. 250. That's amazing. Yeah, right. yeah this is 250, baby. So like I said, right. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Show. Write to us, noandbilldon'tgetit at gmail.com. Give us a review on the aggregators. People find podcasts that way. I am on Twitter for the moment, at William Scurry, uh, making goof-offs, foo-for-alls, bosh, flim-flaw, uh, flim-show, all those things. I'm on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash amcaesar. And now, uh, here's Noah. I'm all about the big quiz thing. Bigquizthing.com, America's premier provider of corporate and private live trivia events, in person or virtual, worldwide, nationwide. Uh, We're starting to book for the summer, which is kind of exciting, but we're still booking a lot for the spring. Uh, What else is new? We have a new pricing tool on our website, get an instant estimated quote. That's a new fun thing. And... uh, Oh, uh, we're rolling out a pro- I talked about this. I keep talking about it, but we, we haven't rolled it out yet. Sometime this month. Uh, we're rolling a project. We're, sub- we're in our 20th anniversary year. So uh, uh, we have a series of videos. I-, I look back on some of the questions I asked as a young rookie quiz master. Low those 20 years ago, the first event of videos looking at some of the some of the bad questions or maybe some of the better questions from that. So that'll be online soon uh, at Big Quiz Thing, at Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And LinkedIn, and uh, I personally am on Instagram at that at at the Noah Tarno. Uh, hear my thoughts on politics. See my see photos of my cat. Uh, find out how I did on a co- the same cognitive test that Donald Trump bragged about acing a few years ago. It was not hard, Bill. <laughs> um, I'm going to reserve judgment until I do it myself. I'm, I'm going to assume it's. I got a 30 out of 30, baby. I know I could identify a picture of a camel. I did really well. Okay, everybody, until the next episode of our show, will we cover a movie where a koala finds a stash of Benadryl? We We don't don't get get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.